0: Are you ready for this? Welcome to Principles with Corey and Logan. I'm Corey. I'm Logan. And we are here to go on the journey of life and leadership growth with you. Welcome to the Principles podcast. Welcome to Principles with Corey and Logan. Super excited about our conversation today uh, with a friend of mine. We, you know, it's interesting. We Followed each other on social media for a while. I followed uh, a lot of his stuff for probably a little over a year now. He's always got some great content on um, adding value to people, uh, caring for people, but great stuff on leadership. And then uh, I guess this was a couple of months ago. We actually met at the Maxwell Leadership Open in Hawaii, and I was kind of surprised to see him. like, hey, I know that guy from social media. I know Tyler from social media. So, Tyler. Welcome to Principles with Corey and Logan.
1: Well, I'm uh, I'm glad to be here. What's funny is um, our mutual friend, John Griffin, kept telling me, it's like, hey, you got to meet this guy. You got to know this guy. You got to, you know, go talk to to Corey. You got to meet him. And, um, you know, it's like anything else. It's sometimes hard to contextually put things together. And I remember seeing you uh, in Hawaii and I'm like, John, I know Corey. Like, I already know Corey. Like, what are you talking about? I got to go meet Corey. I know Corey. And so, um, yes, have, um, you know, interacted on social media, have gotten to know each other there and excited to be here and chat with you guys and and have a good conversation.
0: That's awesome. Well, man, we're, we're excited to have you. So real quick, uh, Tyler, tell us a little bit about your background. You're in Spokane, Washington. Uh, tell us about what you do and uh, any kind of part of your background that you'd like to share with us before we jump in.
1: Yeah. Um, so right now I am a uh, podcast host, have a leadership podcast, have a leadership community where um, part of that is focusing on uh, reading books. So I have a book club uh, with that as well, have a round table, I call it, where we more intimately discuss the books, uh, really apply the leadership lessons from the books, but also what everyone's going through in life. As you know, we mentioned John Maxwell and one of the things he's really taught me is the value of sitting at a table and layered learning. And you know, that's something that I see tremendous value in. So that's kind of what I do right now. Uh, as well, my wife and I uh, partner with a network marketing company. So I've done that now 10, 11 years, um, which has been a tremendous amount of fun and very rewarding. Previous to that, uh, I was a nutritionist for dairy cows. So I grew up on a dairy farm in... Uh, Ohio in the Midwest and after graduating from college moved to California and took on a career of a you know being a nutritionist for dairy cows. Uh, did that for 13 years and kind of in that process moved from California to Washington where I live now and evolved into doing more uh, human stuff. And, uh, the fun thing about that is, is I've learned is there's people everywhere. So it doesn't matter what industry you're in. Uh, there's people involved. You're dealing with the same stuff. And it's really when we can get past whatever the industry is and understand, Hey, it's all about people. And the more that we can learn about ourselves and, and learn about others and serving people, um, it's how we're, you know, accomplish more and, and accomplish whatever we're set out to do.
0: Yeah. You got a background in uh, doing fitness industry as well, right? Yes. You, you guys owned a gym? Yep.
1: Yeah, we owned a gym for five years. Uh, that was kind of a, a business that we decided to throw in there. Always have been intrigued by health and fitness. Uh, when I was in college, even I asked one of my professors, Hey, can I take a human nutrition course? And his words at that point is, Don't waste your time. And what I soon later learned, and this was you know, talking with many different uh, tech, you know, professors and and people that have studied a lot, human nutrition is actually pretty far behind animal nutrition. And there's one reason why, Uh, you know, we talk about it in, you know, 21, uh, 2022 is that we have a, a bigger understanding that health's important, but for decades, we've understood that animal nutrition is important. If they're healthy, if they're cared for, you know, I came from production agriculture and the only way that you made a profit is if the animals were healthy and productive. Uh, the same point, as we understand with dogs and cats and, and pets is, you know, the amount of nutrition specifics and research that has been done there to make sure they're healthy far exceeds that in humans. Why? Cause it's real easy to tell animals what to eat and they'll do it. It's real hard to do that on humans and you don't have to deal with the emotional stuff, but there's also, there's a lot of money on the side of animal nutrition because of how healthy your animals are. There's a, uh, um, people will pay for that. How productive your animals are, people pay for that. We've really not paid for our human health. We just kind of take it for advantage. So.
0: Wow. That's interesting. Um, You mentioned network marketing. Yeah. I'll tell you, Tyler, for five years, we had physical therapy clinics. We had gyms. We did network marketing. I learned more about how to build a business. And how to communicate and how to connect, how to present and speak by doing network marketing than anything else I'd ever been in. And I tell you, that that was probably one of the, it it was challenging at first, but that was probably one of the best things that we did for our business (laughs) was Mm -hmm. to get involved with one of those because it forced me to learn how to lead and how to connect and uh, develop people. So that's
1: awesome. I I mean, my opinion, I, I would not be the person today without our experience in network marketing plain and simple. And one of the things that I've learned too is network marketing is a leadership accelerator. Like you think about it, there's no other place that you can learn, and go through the processes of business and personal development, there's no other community that absolutely focuses on it as much as network marketing. And the accelerator, because of all the different interactions, and this is the great thing that I, I see there too, is you know network marketing, you're trying to motivate, you're trying to lead a volunteer army in a lot of ways. It, it's very much like a church in that sense, but the difference is, You're working with people from all different backgrounds and all different goals and all different missions. And so to be able to bring that together from a leadership capacity is really a major accelerator in your ability to do so if you're leading a church, everyone's there for kind of the same reasons. they maybe have some of the same backgrounds and it doesn't offer as many of the challenges it has its own challenges but it doesn't offer as many of the challenges that you see in network marketing or other nonprofits because people are are maybe uh, attuned to that mission. Network marketing is totally different in that sense because everyone's coming for a little different reason and with a totally different background. Um, so it's it's been tremendously valuable, lucrative, and has nothing to do with money. That's awesome. Yeah.
0: Well, um. So we'll piece that together. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Lover, okay. you got you got any other thoughts or questions or anything?
2: Uh, I want to value, uh, we want to
0: value your time, Tyler. We appreciate it. Yeah.
2: Um, no, I just, I did want to, uh, bring up, I can't remember where it was that I heard this, but like 90% of conversation, like first time conversations with men, one of the first three questions is what do you do? Mm-hmm. Um, I just, it's, it's really fun to have conversations where you go for an hour and you don't get into that. Um, so I just thought that was, that was fun.
1: Yeah. Good. I mean, it, it's a, uh, it's a crutch. Um, and a lot of times is we don't know what else to ask. And, um, I think tying back into one of the things that you said earlier, those four qualities, if you have curiosity and it doesn't matter, it, it's, you know, learning about someone else. And right. Knowing so that you now, can.
2: now once someone gave me the awareness, now it's like my personal challenge to myself when I need yeah. somebody new to not ask. And they it's weird how it's confused hard. people get. They're like, why is this guy not asked me what I do for work yet? Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> well, I'll throw because another that's point. Like your entire identity. I
1: it, hope. That's it. That's it. Is is when you don't have an identity outside of that, and <coughs> it, it's okay for that. If for if your mission and your purpose is what you're doing, and that is where your identity, there's nothing wrong with that. But right. it's when people um, use it and again a crutch. It's a crutch to ask, it's a crutch to to use that as your identity and it it doesn't mean that it is derogatory because a lot of people have to go through that process and, and, and learn that and it can come back to your insecurities. it can come back to you know your value and like no I have more value than what I do. but yet they haven't gone through that experience to know, oh, I have value outside of what I do in what I do.
2: Right. And we talk a lot about the OODA loop. Um every ah. so so in the past uh two weeks, we bought three hotels. Okay. We're selling one closing at midnight. Um sorry, my my dog wanted it's to okay. come and say Not hey. Uh um and then we opened one Wednesday as well. Um, hey, busy. Each one of those was a different franchise. Um, but kind of the, the chat that we give uh, each time we buy a hotel, we go in and I kind of give the company history. Hey, I've known the owner for 12 years. Uh, when my dad left and my parents separated, uh, he gave my mom a job. She had been a stay at home mom, no resume. Uh, and she worked at the front desk of one of his first two hotels. That's how I met him. I started uh, about a year after I got out of college, did something else for a little while, got with him. Um, there's a kind of unique story about how we got to work together before. And he said, I'm going to hire you when you get out of school. And I said, I don't care. I'm in 10th grade. Um, and (laughs) you know, so I ended up starting kind of as an assistant to our chief operating officer. And then I've done just about everything in our company and worked our way up. So we talk about where we came from. Yeah. When I started in 15, we had eight hotels. Now we've got 25, we had about 150 to 200 people. Now we're getting close to that thousand mark. Um, so we talked about, we talk about all that stuff and then we say, Hey, but you guys are the expert at your hotel.
0: Sure.
2: We want to come in and we want to, we don't want to change everything on day one. We know you're a little bit anxious. We know change can be scary. Um, we're here to come in and observe, orient, decide, and act. We're not changing things overnight. We want to see what you guys are awesome at Mm -hmm. that we can copy paste at the other 24 hotels. And then the things that we're good at, we want to put in place here. And then you see shoulders kind of relax a little bit. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, you know, after a little while, they kind of see, oh, yeah, our day-to-day didn't change that much. We want to see what we can enhance. Uh, so, so that's what we do when we buy from a different owner or management yeah. company. It's the same thing we do looking brand to brand. What can yeah. we borrow uh, and, and, and copy paste without violating any standards, of course.
1: Totally. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I think that's one of the great um, great missed opportunities for people. And, and this happens for leaders. It happens for organizations. It happens everywhere is thinking that there's a carbon copy to follow. And it's like, no, there's not there's a best practices by individual and you can look at opportunities that might enhance what you're doing, but realizing I don't have to do what Corey does and I don't have to do what Logan does to bring value. And collectively, all three of us can bring value, but not be competing to a point where, you know, one try to just don't get there. Like, how can we enhance? And I, and I hear that from you, Logan, it's kind of like looking at these different, you know, operations these different facilities like how can we enhance what everyone's doing as opposed to pinning them against each other right because that's got to be another challenge too is like you start pinning well this hotel has this occupancy rate and they have these metrics you start doing that with all those different franchises it probably would get real toxic real quick it Just can my guess.
2: it can it can yeah. um we try to give a framework that, yeah. Hey, here, here, we love setting goals, but ultimately I really care about our internal standards.
1: Mm-hmm. Here is yes.
2: our, as fusion hospitality, here's our internal standard and yeah. we want to exceed that standard uh, meter, exceed it. And then we're going to give you the framework and the brand is going to give you the mm-hmm. framework. And we kind of overlay those two things and say, all right, inside of these lines, put your fingerprints on it. Yep. It's your hotel. You guys are a unique team. It's a unique leadership team. It's a unique uh, market. Not the, the same things don't work in two yeah. d- different markets. Um, you kind of spoke to occupancy. Well, I mean, the occupancy may be lower at one, but a higher average rate and vice versa in a different market. So, totally. you know, our strategy for what the average length of stay needs to be for us to, do what we need to do financially is going to be different. Uh, yeah. what our target guest is might be slightly different, the right segmentation and business mix, but we're going to trust our team there to be the experts. And we're going to just keep our internal standards high. And, and, totally. um, those, those teams, uh, that are boots on the ground, do a great job of telling us what they need to be successful. And then we try to stay out of the way and make sure that they have those
1: things. Good. Awesome. Well, look- Love to learn that. All right, Corey, back to whatever you yeah. know, good stuff, guys man. want to talk hey. about today. That's fun. I love learning that. And- yeah,
0: look, I, I can tell this is going to be good. This is going to be good. So, <laughs> uh, Logan and I always talk, you know, the conversation before and after is just a lot of times you, you try to go unscripted no matter what. But uh, before and after, you know, you have conversations like this. Man, mm-hmm. I wish we were recorded some of that. Totally. So anyway. I,
1: 100%. It is yeah. Um, you know, the greatest things are when you're not intending it to be. And I think that's part of, you know, is that's life that that's life. And if you allow for that, man, that's where things are going to blossom. If you, if you try to, um, exclude it, you know, as a leader, as a person, man, you're going to miss out on so many great opportunities to, um, learn and grow and connect.
0: Yeah, that's good.
2: Well, that's how our podcast started. Okay. <laughs> Was Corey and, I, Corey and I said, let's start having conversations with cool people. And then you introduce something that records it so that we can go back and make sure that we didn't miss any notes. I mean, that's, <laughs> um, that's the, I always look forward to him. And he and I talked about it the other day. Um, we hadn't been as, as consistent lately. And we're like, man, I miss having these conversations when, mm-hmm. you know, it's something that we look forward to. Yep, yeah.
1: Totally agree. I mean, um, I am, I just, re- before this recorded, I think it's probably going to end up like episode 53, 54, between the two different podcasts i have done almost a hundred now. And man, they are such a opportunity for me to learn from people. And I love asking the questions. I love to um, have the conversations. And when I look at the, the list of, of people that I've been able to interview, or uh, it, it's really fun because it's kind of like, how else would I've had the opportunity to spend an hour to just talk to them? And one of the things that, you know, my podcasts interview a lot of um, authors, and I look at that, and, and different leaders too, and it's like, the worst thing that I could go into a interview and do is ask the same questions that everyone else does. And so I look at that as my great from the lens that I see, whether it's reading a book and, or just looking at their, their experiences to how to ask things that are different than anyone else. But that also comes very relevant to my mind and how I see things. And, and so when I, I feel like I focus on that instead of just the canned stuff, that's when great conversations happen. And it, it's so amazing to me. I, I've had several different guests say this is like, I've never had anyone ask those questions um, and, and these are people that are interviewed you know 20 30 40 50 100 times for different books and different things and so to me that's like okay that's that's good and that means somebody's going to get value out of it yeah so curious really uh, what,
0: what have you found some really good do you have a core key question you'd like to ask some people to to learn from
1: uh, not a, a key question. I think when it comes down to my ideology, um, the inference that I try to dig around in what I believe are the great barriers in leadership, um, and to me, the greatest barrier is insecurity. Yeah. Um, the greatest opportunity is empathy. And you know that's where I believe that I've really spent a lot of time learning, growing myself and and I believe that is the the greatest um, challenge that leaders have is how to get past their personal insecurities but also recognize every single person has them Mm -hmm. you know i'll just put it bluntly: all three of us here have insecurities now we can come to grips with them or we can try to mask them and the more that we mask them we're going to create a bigger and bigger barrier in between ourselves and others and the more we do that the less able we are to lead and the biggest way to overcome that is to practice healthy empathy and learning what that healthy empathy is. So to is there something core? Man, I love to get into that because I think it's universal, but I also think it is very commonly misunderstood, undiscussed, not realizing that, oh, my greatest barrier in all relationships is my insecurity. So instead of thinking, how do I just squash that how do i just you know make sure it's not relevant is not the solution the the greatest solution is accepting it to be vulnerable about it but then as well understand too that other people have them and our opportunity as leaders to help all of us move forward and together is to help other people get and i don't want to say get past but come to grips with their insecurity and how to navigate through that
0: yeah I'd be curious real quick, you know, something, yeah. I mean, that, that's a great nugget right there. And uh, I've got some key learnings that I've learned along the way. How did you discover that? There's got to be a story there.
1: Um, I discovered that through a process. Um, it was a lot of process over time, yeah. but it, it came down to, I, I would say kind of the, the, the opportunity that put a lot of definition around it was I spent time with Rory Vaden. So Rory Vaden and his wife, AJ have a organization called Brand Builders and they work with um, personal brands and they have a framework to kind of go through and, and it really comes down to is what problem do you solve? And so I, I had that experience with them that really helped open that up. And then as well, I read a book called The Purpose Factor. The Purpose Factor is by uh, Brian and Gabrielle Bosche. And in that book, they really, you know, come up with the idea and thought is like, can you sequentially or can you through a process determine and establish your purpose? And, you know, so they have, you know, a couple points to that. And it was a lot of the same questions. And I think when this idea of purpose comes down to what problem do you solve? And I had to really come to grips with this idea that my greatest barrier Was insecurity. And and it's once I got through that, once I accepted it, once I understood, oh, this is my insecurity and this is how it shows, I was then able to say, okay, that's when in relationships or in social settings, it becomes awkward. And then it was just two weeks ago, uh, three weeks ago, I was. a friend of mine, Thomas Williams, he and I were doing a leadership, uh, a virtual leadership event for a, uh, HDI chapter in that. I went to college with the, um, program director, and I was going to talk about leadership. It's not about you. And it was kind of this idea. It's not about you. And so I had this presentation I'd kind of gone through and I was going through it the night before getting everything finalized. I'm like, no, this isn't right. This doesn't set. And, um, I tried to write some things out and I just had this block and then ended up, um, It was a Thursday night. It was a Tuesday night. And so my son has soccer practice and I help coach. So I take him to soccer practice. And the whole time I'm thinking about it, it's like, all right, I got to come up with something. I got to do this presentation tomorrow. And I get home from it. It's about uh, eight o'clock. And that's typically not a time where I do much ideating or writing. And so I finish the presentation. I put it together and I come up with these four barriers and the four barriers of leadership. And I'm like, I hope this works. It's, it sounds pretty good. I kind of like it. And so I presented it the next day and it was just, you saw light bulbs going off everywhere. And we created it very, um, it was very engaging. We have breakouts after each, you know, 20, 25 minute uh, session that Thomas and I presented. And so the four barriers are insecurity, which, you know, I've identified already. And I think insecurity is kind of a umbrella for these other three as well, but it's four eyes. The other one is insensitivity, meaning if I'm not sensitive to what someone else is going through, if I'm not sensitive enough to understand that, hey, it's, you know, as we're recording today, uh, New Year's Eve that, you know, Corey, you may be doing something with your family tonight and I just continue to ramble on, ramble on, not sensitive to that, that instant, insensitivity is a barrier in my ability to engage or lead. The other one is our inactivity. Meaning we can get into a situation where it's like, you know, and a lot of times in business it's like, do I wanna have that conversation with them? You know what, I'm just gonna let it, it, it'll just take care of itself over time because I don't wanna be the bad guy or I don't wanna get rejected because I don't wanna have the conversation and have somebody tell me no or, or pose a question that I don't have the answer to. So we find ourselves in this point of inactivity and then that's a barrier in our ability to lead as well. And then the last one I think shocked most people and it shocked most people because they're like, I never thought of that as a barrier, but it's absolutely a barrier And my biggest barrier and it's intensity. And, um, we can, you know, is funny speaking in front of the group, talking to the group and just recounting this a few moments ago is a lot of times we regard intensity as what it takes to succeed in business. And intensity only goes so far. And then all of a sudden what I learned is your intensity pushes people away it is when you're super intense, you may be able to get things done, but yet people don't go with you. And, um, that's what I, you know, for from my life, how I got through a lot of things, how I really endured and pushed through was through my intensity of just put my head down and push and there was a revelation that i had um and it was i'm a person of faith and and i sat down in the gym i just got done working out sitting on this bench and i had this you know sense of god say that's how you deal with things and at that point in my business we we owned a gym we had you know a few things going on and we just had some general i don't know just normal leadership issues and part of you know getting through that was just putting my head down and pushing and it's like oh yeah that's not going to work but i also recognized through that 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 was how i dealt with some pretty tough times earlier in my life um for context of this and i'll share is when i was 14 uh, i grew up on a dairy farm in in ohio in the midwest and when i was 14 uh, i had a younger brother die in a farming accident um and on that day i happened to drive over him and he was three i was 14 and um as the, the emergency personnel and the sheriff and the, um, they were there, I was being interviewed by sheriff and he was asking me questions. And I was standing in front of our barn you know, on a dairy farm in front of our barn. And he's sitting on his hood, you know, looking at me and he's asking questions. I'm like, Hey, I'll answer all the questions you want, but it's about five o'clock at night. And there are 50 cows in that barn that aren't going to milk themselves. So I'm going to go do that. And if you want to ask me questions, then you can come along with me and ask whatever questions you want. And I vividly remember that day um, and and the imagery is still there. And that was an example of how my intensity pushed me through things. And it it became this emotional block. And I think that's the big thing that happens with intensity. It creates this emotional block that you're unable to connect with others. And so you guys can just imagine it, anyone listening All right. You've been around intense people and there is absolutely at times I've been around more intense people than me or with intense people. And you walk, you turn away and you're like, Whoo, Okay. Uh, let's just, let's, let's get our wits back about us. And yet when we operate in such intensity, there's no way for us to connect, engage, and actually lead people. And it really is the process of of realizing that, hey, I need to practice empathy. And so when it comes back, why did I find that? Well, it was through a lot of like hard, tough relationship issues between my wife, my kids, business professionals. And it was constantly, I don't know if I have value, so my insecurity, but then it was even enhanced further by how do I solve this? I just am super intense and driven. And I had a lot of people around me, like, dude, it's all about Tyler. It's just his goals. And when I heard that, I'm like, well, quite honestly, it's not. I, I've never really been one that's like, I have to accomplish this or that. I have to be this person. It's like, I want to be a collaborator. I want to be part of the team. I, you know, love to play team sports and play my position. Like, how can I help everyone move along? But my intensity never let that truly show.
0: Mm-hmm. Oh. So. That's interesting. You know, when you said that, I could tell that that wasn't a revelation you read in some book. You know, no. like that—that that was that, there was some experience learned. You helped me out with something right there. I love what you said about intensity too, because I, one of the things that is I, I feel like is key for us to be successful or whatever you want to say in anything is passion. Mm-hmm. And and man, I love the way you you describe intensity as that force. I'm going to make it happen. And passion is just being in, in love with the direction and, and people can feel intensity, but they can also feel passion and passion's attractive. And, and what you're saying about that intensity, yeah, that is, um, that pushed people away. I like that. That that was really good.
1: Yeah. And I think that's a, that's a great point, Corey. And that's a great from a standpoint of oftentimes I think people think those are one in the same almost is like, if someone doesn't have passion, then they don't really care. And they're like, if they're not intense, if they're not really into it, they don't care. And and I think they're not the same at all. And and I would say this right here, passion brings people in, intensity pushes people away. And, And you can be so passionate about what you're doing, but you can only can, you can only, um, move people with that passion when you're bringing them to you. And at the same point, you can be passionate and you can display this tremendous amount of intensity and you're going to, and you're going to say, you're either with me or you're going to get the heck out of my way. And that's not, that's not like a, a, a compassionate nature a compassionate and a, like having that passion is let's have passion and go together as opposed to be that, you know, really intense person. And, you know, just imagine the furrowed brow and the, and the, you know, the, the tight look and you're just like pushing through and it's like, okay, dude, let me get out of your way so you can go do whatever you want to do. That's more important than everyone else around you.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And there's a ton of stuff to, to unpack here. Um, one you mentioned you spent some time with rory baden did he see did he write take the stairs
1: he did yes
2: that is the first like personal development book okay. that i read somebody gifted it to me probably 10 years 12 years ago uh-huh. um, and anyway really good read it two or three times um, and Corey, that's where the story of the buffalo versus the cow comes from mm-hmm. is actually that but you recall that story time yep, uh-huh. uh, the buffaloes go towards the storm and intersect it yeah. and, uh, and, and they clear it faster than cattle that run away from it and then run with it. Um, yeah. so Corey and I talk about that, uh, from time to time, that's the book that I read that in. Okay. Um, so that's, that's interesting. Uh, three years ago at our end of year meeting, several of our general managers, uh, said that some content that they would like to see was, what qualities were consistent among successful general managers and leaders in the company? Um, after some reflection, I kind of boiled it down to three. And then subsequently this year I've added a fourth one um, okay. that, that I've kind of noticed, but discipline, humility, empathy. And then this year we've added curiosity. Um, but because hotels are 24 seven, You've got to have the right discipline and daily habits to get the things done every day that have to get done every day uh, because you will be pulled a lot of different directions. Humility because it, it helps all of the good ideas and all the innovation that I see typically that 90% or better comes from the front lines up, not from the ivory tower down. So if we don't have the humility as leaders to be approachable those ideas are gonna stick on the front lines and now we can't copy paste them across the portfolio. Sure. Um, but then empathy is the X factor. Um, and that's something that Corey and I have talked about for for years. Um, I have not thought about it though in the framework of the antidote. Um, what's the? Insecurity. What's the word I'm looking for? For the insecurity. I have not thought about it from that framework. Um, but as you were kind of going through that, I thought, you know, that's, that's exactly the reason I lead with that story about when I was 14, my dad left. I was the man in the house. I was working three jobs, helping mom pay the light bill. And because instantly I go from this young, might not look like everybody else in the room, chief operating officer of a big hotel company that looks like, you know, maybe he got this on a silver platter to, Oh, this guy's been in the trenches. He's I'm a single mom. I've got three kids. There's empathy. Now there's a connection. Um, Mm -hmm. And, you know, that also helps with like, obviously I just kind of gave it away. That's my insecurity is I have a big position, but I'm 30. So I'm always fighting that uphill battle. Uh, But I had not put those pieces together. Um, So thanks for doing that, doing that for us.
1: I'm going to add in another layer, and this was something that, um, you know, kind of developed through that process of understanding, again, insecurity and and how do you solve that as empathy is, um, and, and this is um, an ideology that I have, empathy is a spectrum. And, and this is where, you know, to me, I, I think there's two words, two qualities there that you listed of those, of those four that I think are very, very misdefined in our society. And our society has a really hard time of understanding what are those words. And that is humility and empathy. And and we, we just, we, we don't know how to really define humility. Is it weak? Is it, you know, less than, is it, you know, meek? Is it whatever it's like, you know, as, as, C S Lewis defines it as it's, you know, not thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of others more. And so often people are like, Oh, to be humble, you gotta think less of yourself. You gotta, you know, kind of be self deprecating, you gotta put yourself down. It's like, no, that actually harms you more because that allows your insecurities to, you know, start to overwhelm you because then you start to think, well, I don't have value here. I can't do anything. And, and then all of a sudden you create this hardness. And to me, that's the empathy spectrum is either you're a doormat on one end where you just let people walk all over you. That's how you choose to be empathetic. It's just, oh, no, like, I'm not gonna be Barry. I'm not gonna hold you accountable. I'm not gonna do anything. I'm just gonna walk all over me. And then the other end is where I spent way too much time of my life. And that is the hard, the callous, the um, to keep this clean, the a-hole. And, you know, it, that is... That's the, the extent of it. And we see that all the time in our society. And both of them are very unhealthy. It, it, you, you can't be a healthy leader and operate in those space. You can't be a healthy person and operate on either one of those. It really means it's, it's coming to the middle of this spectrum and it's, it's finding that healthy spot. And one of the ways that's really through the process helped me define empathy. And really coming up with this ideology of of empathy and defining it is um, putting your arm around someone and walking with them. And, and when you choose to be empathetic, and and you know, I I just uh, kind of had a um, four words that are, I think great descriptors to kind of how do you play out empathy. And this comes from uh, a guy that I mentioned earlier, Thomas Williams, when he and I, you know, shared this together and it's fresh in my mind because we just talked about about an hour ago is the four words are communicate, connect, commit, and care. And when I was talking to him, I was like, those are four actions that if you focus on those, you're going to display and engage in empathy. And it's kind of, again, this idea of you put your arm around someone, you can't drag them. It's not going to work. And you can't dig your heels in the ground because they're going to walk on without you. And that just doesn't work in any relationship. When you talk about that as a, as a general manager, it's like practicing that humility and having the discipline, but then getting into the empathy. And it's like what well, you, know, you shared. And, and when you share that story with people, then all of a sudden they can connect with you because you're communicating something with them. And you start to, um, you have this relationship where people care more. And to me, that is being empathetic. And once you practice that, then all of a sudden your insecurities really don't matter as much because you realize that, Oh, I do have something to add value to people and I do care and they can express that, Hey, you're adding value to me. And, and I think that's where um, it becomes the solution to our insecurities. But I I would be, um, I would be, yeah, um, I, I need to share this though, is our insecurities show up in ways And unless we understand how that shows up, it's really hard to be consistent in how we practice empathy. Um, For me, it it was a long standard of, do I have value? Do I have any worth? Do I have anything to offer? Um, I was a very small kid. I wasn't real athletic, but I was pretty smart. And so it always rely on that. It was like how much I knew what I knew. And going into social situations, instead of asking a lot of questions, being curious, I would instead, you know, share all the things I knew and and couple that with intensity. And I just drove people away. And, you know, so when you talk about that last word, that curiosity, to me, that is paramount in starting to that process of empathy. And it's also when you you know have that curiosity, you're displaying humility to say, I don't have all the answers. I don't know it all. I, I I'm not the one that can can solve all this. Um, and I, I think to tie those four words together is having the discipline to do that in situations where maybe you don't have the time or the desire. Man, I just want to get through this day. But you know what? I need to be able to ask. And I need to be able to be curious, where did that come from and say, Hey, how are we going to do this together? I don't have the answers and you know how those all play out. So I love that, man.
0: It's interesting. The insecurities you mentioned and, uh, and, and Logan mentioned right there, mine's the opposite of yours, Tyler, Uh, one of the ones I grew up with for a long time. Anybody that's listened to our podcast has has heard my story and Logan's (laughs) heard it a bunch of times, but Mine was on the very opposite end of not thinking I was smart, right? Like not thinking I was smart enough. So I relied on asking a lot of questions, But that insecurity held me back, and it still does um, even to this day. That's why I insecurely read so many books, and I, I love proverbs, right? And uh, I was going to ask you a question about proverbs here in a minute. But yeah, it's interesting that i i I lived with the unawareness of that. Until I had somebody challenge me one day and then the awareness just popped up and it's, it, it's, um, it's almost like a step towards freedom when you become aware of, of it and, and then you can do something about it. But man, I, I was blinded by it for such a long time. It was interesting. You, you
1: know, to me, it was, it was an interesting process of just like, all right, you know, what is this? And, you know, for me, it was kind of how I saw people back away mm-hmm. and it's like, Oh, and, and kind of having this, like, you know, it was a spiritual experience to learn that, okay, that's the barrier. And I think that's where the struggle for so many people is they don't realize what their insecurity is or how it shows up that creates this barrier. Mm-hmm. Like we may understand, oh, you know, it's, not sure like you understood hey i need to ask a lot of questions i'm not you know have this idea i'm not smart enough i don't have anything that i can share and and so you end up becoming quiet or however they challenged you and they're always like i gotta learn more and like more it's like why dude (laughs) like you have this tremendous experience this so much to offer but you're like well it's not enough i'm just making this you know Mm -hmm. assumption and in that you had to come i'm guessing you have to come to situations like okay just calm down I'm here for a reason and I don't need to be, you know, trying to figure out how I fit in. And what's amazing to me. And I've seen this from people once I've become that way, like I'm so much more enjoyable to be around. And it's, you know, come to the point where I can recognize I've shared this with my wife. It's like, Hey, this is what I struggle with. And, and kind of like, Oh yeah, you know what? My insecurity came up in that situation. I need to like, like, timeout squash this and for me it's, it's starting to ask more questions it's listening more it is just shut up and be a part of the group mm-hmm.
0: yeah. um, we're all on here we, we're all in the faith lane and those kind of things we've had people on and speak in the faith and all of that for me the biggest um, the biggest teaching lesson at one time was I was meeting a, a lady she was a coach just like I am and she was highly intelligent and that's a trigger for my insecurity of not thinking I'm smart enough. I remember walking away upset with her, like internally upset. And she was the nicest person, super nice. And I was like, why am I so mad at this lady? And immediately the Lord spoke to me and said, do you want to know why? And I was like, ah, I don't really know if I want to know why. <laughs> and um, they immediately said that you feel like, you know, she's smarter than you. You feel like that she would be able to serve your clients better than you and man, it pierced me to the heart because it was so true. And um, one of the things he revealed to me is you can rely on your own wisdom or man's wisdom, but as, as believers, we, we believe we've been gifted the Holy spirit and I can rely on his wisdom instead of trying to force it on my own. So that was a, for me, a great turning point in um, being okay with that. (laughs) Totally. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And I think, you know. having gone through those experiences myself. And, and I think the, the key that helps me there is the humility piece. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, I guess there is something that, you know, going way back to one of your questions, is there something that I like to ask people as guests? And, and yes, and no, sometimes it comes up, but I believe this is important. And it comes back to what, you know, one of the points that Logan had is like, how do you practice humility? Because I think the 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 point that you made there, Corey, is when we practice that humility in that situation, we, we start to understand, oh, we have more value than we give ourselves credit for. And at the same point, we understand what's not for us to do because we weren't made in that shape and form. And I think where we get in trouble is thinking, oh, you know, Corey does it this way or, or Logan does it that way. And each of you have shared how you've been in situations and... I don't want to say intimidated by that, but kind of, as you shared that, that's what happens. And it's our humility that says, no, I am who I am. Um, You know, it's, I've had this adage for a while. It's like everyone gets up to pee at three in the morning. So, you know, get over it. I I had a podcast guest, Mike Arietta, and he said, you know, everyone pees and poops. Um, And it's part of that humility is like, they can, you can think they're the greatest in the world, but one, they have some insecurity because every person does And two, they're, you know, they have their stuff, you know, and and everything else. And for me, when I look at that practicing humility, um, it's partly realizing that, um, it's finding a way to say, I am who I am and just accept it and be okay with it. And I think it's so important. And once you get there, then you can start to address all those barriers
0: Awesome. Good stuff. So, uh, shift gears just a second. Um, so we've got a mutual friend, John Griffin, and we were talking the other day and he is mentioned to me how you guys do the proverbs a day, every day. And that's something I love to do. And, uh, you know, this is just a way out there, random question. Do you have a favorite proverb or a favorite chapter or anything like that that jumps out to you?
1: I have a favorite ideology. Oh, come on. Um, And and that's, you know, one of the things that, and it's probably been something that's hit me most here in 2021. It's um, wisdom is having knowledge and understanding. And, you know, when you start digging into that, and there was, I don't remember when it was, it was probably back in the spring. And and to give a little context for um, the listeners. So back in 20... Oh, shoot. I'm going to guess it's 2017 now. Uh, I was working with a John Maxwell coach. His name is Rick Vandermeiden, And he, at that point had a coach that, uh, encouraged him to read Proverbs every day, uh, pre- Proverbs Proverbs a day. And I'd had a friend that I knew, you know, many, many years ago who'd kind of talked about it. It was something for, um, you know, not foreign. And I'm like, you know, that, that would be a good idea. And so, um, he encouraged me to do it. He did it along. And then for me, I got into you version because it's accountable. And I kind of got to this point. Well, if I knew that Corey was reading and I didn't read today, then I need to get there. And now it has a tracker. And I think I'm going to finish off the, the year here. Um, I missed one day back in October of 2019. And other than that, it says 184 weeks. Come on with it. And um, it, it's been a practice that I've invited others in to do. And it's very much my part of my morning routine and reflection. And that idea of having knowledge and understanding. You can have knowledge and it doesn't do you any good. And it's really the understanding that is the wisdom part. And, and something that was shared this morning I um, in one of my daily readings, I'm reading um, God's Wisdom to Navigating Life by Tim Keller. It's a great daily reader. Uh, I've read that all in 2021. And he makes the, the proclamation there at the end is the only way to gain wisdom is through a relationship with God. So you can chase wisdom, but you're not going to find it unless you have a relationship with God and a relationship with God is going to bring you wisdom. And as I, as I walk through that and read that this morning and think about it, the amount of, um, I would say personal security and maturity and growth and wisdom I've gained and in and now doing this for almost four years is starting to go through a lot of those verses. And what's fun is seeing that it's all relevant. It's you know it was written several thousand years ago, but it's it's still relevant today. The words of Solomon and it's really this idea of how there's so many pieces and parts that tie together. And and I love how some chapters just kind of really tie into a certain point. It's, you know, the, the thing that there was a point that hit me this year is, you know, our society is so into mocking and we don't understand how derogatory mocking is. And it can be like, Oh, I'm just joking. I'm like, no, you're, you're, you're really what you're doing is you're violating trust when you're doing that. And and so it's picking up those nuggets and seeing it, it's kind of, just this constant aha. And one of the practices that I've done, and I think is, is important. Again, it's been four years now. I mean, you can read the same words over and over and it's just mumbled together. I've tried to read a different translation every month. Mm -hmm. And what's fun about that is now all of a sudden you see it in a whole new way and a whole new meaning. So there's a little piece about Proverbs.
2: You've yeah. got to be really careful after you've started reading all of this wisdom. And then you see those things going on in real life. And we understand the eternal perspective of it. And then you got to check that intensity <laughs> because we understand the implications. Um, just going back to, to intensity earlier, but um the world thinks certain things are so small. Like, no, I'm just making a joke. No proverbs has harsh words for the scoffer and mm-hmm. the mockers, um, mm-hmm. and foolishness. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, I, I think I share yeah. kind of the same intensity, uh, that you talked about earlier. And that's like my best friend and I have conversations all the time about, all right, we got to tone it down a little bit. Um, yeah. And have, have some empathy because it's very tempting to, like, you don't understand. You want to sh- shake people awake um, so at times. So
1: let me, we're going to talk in a spiritual context for a little bit, okay? Is that fine? Come on with me, eh? Okay. So, um, Come on, brothers. Yeah, I had a friend share this. We had a tremendous conversation a couple months ago about it. And this very much ties into our world today. And I think it ties into this idea of righteousness, Right. And it's it's, it's being um, having this knowledge and, and the understanding. How do you share that wisdom, right? And to use a, a couple of those words. And as we were talking, he was he was sharing the story that hit him about uh, Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, and where you know the the guards come and they grab a hold of Jesus, and Peter whips out his sword and slices off the guard's ear. And in that moment, as it's recounted, Jesus turns to him and is like, no, this is not your time. This is for me. And and as we went through that, what really showed to me is is that was Jesus talking to all of us. You know, we're we're modern day Peters in the sense that the sword, though, is our words. And we have Jesus sitting here saying, no, 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 no. Put your sword away. I got this. And, and I think when, when I think about it in that context of our swords are, are you know righteous words. Our swords are, are you know uh, trying to create these, these societal what it should be. And, and I just have this image of Jesus like, no no, no no, no, no. I got this. I've called you to do one thing and that is to love people. Love me love people. That's what I've called you to do. I'll swing the sword. I'll do all that stuff that he does. And our job is just to, to, you know, be empathetic and walk with people and show God's love. So where they're like, wait a second, why do you do what you do? Like, why is it like that? It, it, it kills me. And again, I don't live in the Bible Belt. I grew up in the Midwest. I live now in the Pacific Northwest where there's less churches than anything else. It's been documented. You guys do, I get that. But I always, it's a quandary to me is when you go and you see the guy on the corner standing on the soapbox and he's reading revelations and he's condemning everyone. It's like, I don't remember seeing Jesus do that nor asking his disciples to do that. Instead, what he did is he went and had dinner with Zacchaeus. He went and, and met with Matthew. He went and called those guys to him and got close to him. And then he went and died on a cross and said, I'm doing this for all of you. Now go and show people love and spread the word of my gospel. And you know that idea of spreading the word of the gospel to me isn't condemning people with righteousness. It is showing his love and saying, why are you acting like you? And it, it's putting that sword away. And so that's just, we had a great conversation about it. And it was just kind of very revealing because you see people just get tight and shirk when you want to almost condemn or, or say, well, what you're doing is wrong. It's you, you go to any of our societal issues and we know, but yet it's so conflicting because we know what's right, but yet we also have to recognize The Jesus, you know, God's going to work there to bring them to that point and they may use us. He's going to use us in some way, shape or form, but it's probably not going to be through our actions and words. It's going to be through his, you know, how he carries it. So,
2: well, I think we really struggle as, um, just human nature. We think other people's sin is dirtier than ours. Um, I mean, that may be less so, in the Pacific Northwest than it is in the Bible belt, because <laughs> my pride and legalism isn't near as bad as somebody that's had a child out of wedlock or is homosexual or uh-huh. whatever it may be, God forbid. Well, no. The Bible says that our righteousness is as filthy rags. It doesn't uh-huh. say that except for pride and legalism or yep. you know, saying a cuss word, what you know, whatever it may be. I think that's where we struggle in the South um, is to um, get over ourselves a little bit and understand that our, that everybody's sin is equally dirty yeah. um, and that we need to love people. Um, yeah. I find I've got some family members that live in different parts of the, of the country, but specifically some in Denver, they don't struggle with that because the culture is different. Yeah. Um, they're just yeah. like, hey, we're Christians. We love everybody. Yeah. Everybody here looks different, acts different. Mm-hmm. We just want to love people and show them Jesus. Mm-hmm. Um, that is not necessarily the same in the South. Yeah. Would you agree with that, Corey?
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. And that's right. what I've learned.
2: <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah.
0: It's like that. Actually, I was listening to a guy yesterday, and maybe you've heard of like the Seven Mountain Mandate or whatever, yeah. the seven, seven or eight... <laughs> sectors of society, whatever they are. And you know, it's talking about, you know, going into those and we don't need to invade, but need to be invited. And it kind of goes to what Tyler was saying. When you love people, that's attractive. Right. I, I want what you've got. That's being invited in. And um, I think that's the most attractive thing that we've got is is loving people. So yeah.
1: That's a that's a tremendous leadership opportunity. Yeah. Instead of telling people where to go, invite them,
0: Yeah,
1: you know, and that's a, um, I believe that's a a challenge in and a lot of leadership places we could say our country, it, it it doesn't matter. It's everywhere. It's, are you dictating to people telling them what they should and how they should do it? Or are you inviting them into the process? And I'm convinced the more that we invite, more people are going to follow.
2: It's good stuff.
0: Hey, uh, Tyler, you mentioned something uh, that that we talked about the other day in one of our, our Bible studies. You mentioned the words wisdom, knowledge, and understanding. I would love to hear your thought, but I'd love to hear uh, Logan's as well. So, um, it was I think it's in like Proverbs three, and Solomon uses those same words. It, well, he uses it throughout Proverbs, but I was like, wisdom, knowledge, and understanding. What's the difference? You know, just curious your thoughts on what's mm-hmm. the difference, and. Um, you know, how do you use those? What's the difference between knowledge, wisdom, and understanding? Just curious about the, your your thoughts on that. Hmm?
1: Yeah, I'm gonna. I want to hear from Logan. What do you got? <laughs> Are you just buying time? I was gonna hear from you. No, I
2: mean it. <laughs> uh, no. uh, so knowledge to me is um, more related to intelligence and head knowledge. To keep it simple, um, wisdom to me would be. Um, I feel closely related to discernment, um, and understanding it's so close to, to wisdom, but I would say more related to almost the the application. And now what do I need Mm -hmm. to uh, understand the ins and outs of this and what, where I need to go from here?
1: Um, I'll do this. Um, knowledge is knowing when to put clothes is, you know, knowing that you need to wear clothes. Okay understanding is knowing what clothes to wear and when wisdom is having both of those. Mm, so in other words, it, it's kind of wisdom is the culmination of understanding and knowledge. You can have all the knowledge in the world, but if you don't understand how and when to apply it, it's not going to do you any good. Mm-hmm. And you, you know, with the understanding, that's great, but you're limited based upon the knowledge that you have. And it, it's really taking combining understanding and knowledge is what wisdom is. And that's kind of my viewpoint on it. I I feel that's what I've learned through the process of going through Proverbs. And, um, you know, as you mentioned, Proverbs 3, I think it, you know, very much shares that. And you get into later chapters um, and it very much discusses that same thing in, in many different ways.
0: I was just kind of curious your thoughts on that. We, we had a really really good conversation around that. And I think what you guys said is kind of what, what we had come up with. You know, the knowledge is almost like the facts, the things that you know, the yeah. head knowledge and then understanding is application. But the wisdom, that's the culmination of it. I like what you said.
2: All right, we have one question that uh, Corey is just sitting on his the edge of his seat, making sure, I always ask one question uh, okay. at the end. And that is, that is, what is one thing in the past... Three to five years that you you knew was true, and subsequently found to not be true. What was something that you really you really subscribed to a certain ide- ideology, and then came to the realization, you know that that may not be true. So for for instance, for me, it was I thought that there were people that had it all figured out, specifically in business. Mm-hmm. Um, you know this the CEO of this company, yeah. they've really got at And then COVID hits, (laughs) and you're like, "Oh wow, no one hasn't figured out." When the tide when the tide goes out, you see who's swimming naked, Mm -hmm. right? And and it's like, you know, kind of like you touched on earlier, everybody's got their stuff, right? And generally, people got to be where they are for a reason, but everybody's got different God given talents and skills and abilities and nobody's more special than another person. There's not somebody that just has it figured out. Uh, And that was something that something that I kind of kind of learned over the past couple of years that I guess early in my career, I thought "Eh, those people are there because they've got it figured out that may not be the case.
1: I would say it's whether it's not figuring out or really coming to grips with that, the, the greatest strength that you can have is vulnerability. Mm. It, it's, you know, I, I have this adage, um, I have zero problems making a fool of myself in service of others. And I think that, you know, that, that's part of that afraid of like, oh, if I'm vulnerable and sharing something about me, are th- people going to think differently mm. about me? Um, and I think that's whether it's a, it's a truth, whether it's, I don't know, but that's something that I, I I choose to really embrace and say it's okay. And it's, I think the more you come to grips with that, it's a level of humility, but it's also, um, genuine and authentic and people want to be around, you know, genuine and authentic more than anything else. It's, um, and, and that's part of the, whether it's the impressions, what's the, the people think. Um, I mean, I, have seen this tremendously happen probably in the last 12 to 24 months. I grew up on a farm. I grew up on a dairy farm and I can remember being teased about it. I can remember people, you know, dumb farmers and you know, that was very much the adage. And what amazes me today is how receptive people are to farmers and i've seen this in a couple industry um, surveys the number one respected people in our society today are actually farmers and um the now in converse over that three to five year period that you mentioned logan is the people that have fallen from grace are professional athletes They used to be what everyone just thought they whatever they did and knew was just gold standard. And now we've come to the point where they're ranked where we have our politicians and um, some of the sleazy uh, salespeople. And it's pretty amazing because in my history and feeling that's where I felt a lot of our society viewed farmers is, you know, there's something wrong with them. That's why they're farming. They're not smart enough to do anything else. Whereas realizing there's so many people that now, and, and there's, a, there's a void, there's an opportunity to get back into agriculture um, because our society is looking for something more ethereal. So. Yeah.
2: That's awesome. I I, uh, I would say my level of respect has, I don't think it was ever low like that. Uh, but has gone up since I started hunting and understand now more about the natural world and the things that go into the biology of an elk and what it takes for it to have the proper nutrition and how I hunt it. And then now can think about that from a framework of, Oh, you want every single soybean to grow exactly the same. Like, what mm-hmm. sort of knowledge do you have to have about the natural world, the mm-hmm. environment, the, mm-hmm. the weather, uh, and, and how to protect against, uh, things and and safeguard to make sure that you have an efficient and productive harvest. Um, there's a lot of intelligence that goes into it. It just might not be the same type of intelligence that somebody uses to, to create a new algorithm.
1: Yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll share this. Um, especially someone health nut, um, do you, I don't know if you wear like a whoop or a, you know, Apple watch or uh, even like a Fitbit or anything like that. We're talking, you know, uh, telemetry, measuring the auto ring, whatever. Um, that technology was first utilized in dairy cows. Really? In the mid 1980s. Wow. Tracking their activity tracking their, uh, monitoring what they were doing. Um, and it was developed by an Israeli firm. And so when, you know, mentioned earlier about the, how far advanced agriculture is, most people every day, it's probably wholesale, the most technologically advanced industry in our entire country. And no one knows. Wow. Unless people that know. (laughs) Yeah.
2: actually i don't wear any of those things right okay. now i do wear a garmin uh phoenix okay. because it's there got go. all the i mean for, yeah yeah i need the gps but uh altitude and and yeah. compass and all that stuff but um, there's a good book i think it's brian mckenzie uh called unplugged mm-hmm. um, yeah. and i found that i was that technology is a wonderful tool and a terrible master and I would yes. get hung up on what was my sleep score. Oh, it wasn't good. I'm not supposed to feel good today.
1: Mm-hmm. You, you got to Yeah. But, okay. I understand let me that.
2: unplug for a little while and let me yeah. just listen to my body. Um, and, and so I'm in that phase right now, trying gotcha. to learn how to, how to walk that tightrope. Um, and then once I trust myself again, I'll dive back into the self-quantification a little yeah. bit more.
1: Yeah, no, I, I understand that. I understand that battle.
2: So right now, I, don't, I just don't trust myself.
1: Fair. Got to know that.
2: <laughs> so, um, Corey, you got anything else? I could talk about health and fitness and dairy cows and hunting and farming all, <laughs> all, as long as y'all want.
0: Well, I, I could definitely talk. go back into leadership and the, and the faith-based and health and fitness all day. But I really appreciate your time, Tyler. That's a ton of great stuff. You and Logan both throughout out a ton of great information. Really appreciate you. I know you added value to us, and I, I, I'm sure you added value to our listeners. Hey, if anybody wanted to connect with you, how what was the best way they can do that?
1: Yeah, um, a couple of different forms. So have a podcast, the Impact Driven Leader Podcast. It's wherever you listen to podcasts. Um, other than that, um, active on LinkedIn, uh, Instagram, Facebook. Just search Tyler Dickerhoof uh, and look for the bald guy. Uh, there's only other, two other Tyler Dickerhoofs, and then a website, uh, tylerdickerhoff.com have the book club, the round table. Um, and so those are the things right now. And, uh, my mission is to, to help other leaders get healthy too. And, um, that is something I've had to do. That's, you know, both physical, well, that's physical, that's mental, that emotional, that's spiritual, um, that's relational. And so that's kind of, um, what I am really driven in my purpose to do.
0: That's awesome. Well, Tyler, what, we appreciate you and go for it. Logan.
2: Can I ask yeah. one more Yeah, come on. One, yeah, in, in your quest to help people get healthy? What is the number one highest return on investment activity that we can take? Because I'm sure there are going to be some new year's re- resolutions. It was limited to health.
1: Yeah. I mean, it, it's, it's being proactive at, at, to me it's those four areas and if you look at it as as a diagram you can you know do a testing and assessments and it's like if you if your physical health is where you're you know not taking care of your body well then you're not going to be able to do the other things and if it's your relational health is is holding you back then you got to work there if it's your spiritual health then you got to work there if it's your emotional health you got to work there and it's really working at all four of them is my belief and you know there's limiting factors but to say one is more paramount than the other. I don't believe you got to work towards all of them to be a healthy leader. They're all tied together and it's, it's understanding where is the biggest limiting factor in my life? Um, for a lot of people, it is their physical health for a lot of people. For me, it was more of my emotional and my relational health um, for many people it, it's spiritual. So, um, I don't think it, there's a blanket it. it's just saying, Hey, where in those four areas. Am I doing things that are moving me towards being a healthier person?
0: Good stuff. That's a great comment there to end on. I, we agree with that too. And Hey, appreciate you, Tyler. Appreciate you, Logan. And thank you guys for taking a listen. If it's added value to you, make sure to subscribe and comment, Uh, comment uh, something that stood out to you that Tyler uh, shared that impacted you. And we'll make sure to pass that along to him. Hope you guys have a great day and God bless.
2: Thanks so much for spending your time with us today. As you go about your day, remember to ask yourself as a parent, child, sibling, business owner, customer, boss, teammate, would you recommend yourself, audit yourself and change your life?